What is up, everybody? We are back. We are back with another unscripted. We have uh, my good friend here. We're going to let off all the sounds right now. <laughs> it's another um, unscripted this today on, uh, on yeah, today. So um, today we have a good friend of mine, Pat Locke. Uh, Pat Locke is a DJ and producer from Vancouver, Canada, where I'm currently living right now. Uh, he's got releases on Kitsune, Fool's Gold, Club Sweat, Sweated Out Records, uh, and other labels for that matter. I've known Pat for a really long time, actually. Um, we uh, we spent a lot of time hanging out in Vancouver. And um, yeah, his journey as a, as a musician's a really inspiring one. Um, he's he's really one of the most motivated and focused people I know, and he's always got great chat. So it's a real pleasure to have him on the show. So uh, won't you please join me in welcoming Mr. Pat Locke. Hey, thanks for that welcome. What a lovely introduction, Matt. How you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm good. I was going to actually ask you the same thing, man. Um, how's things in LA? Pretty good. You know, it's warming up. Uh, I feel like it feels like the majority of the city has their vaccinations or is like on their way to it, which is um, a big turnaround from probably where we thought things were going to be a few months ago. And so things are starting to open up like, you know, slowly, but you can feel it, the energy and... Um, the restaurants with their patios and things like that and like people are turning up with like live music and like buskers or whatever and um it's a good time yeah no doubt yeah i'm uh i'm looking forward to it too uh, as you may have heard uh vancouver is now uh lifted with some restrictions and we're looking like a pretty positive summer ahead for us finally excellent yeah I, my uh i know that um, my friends and family are probably all waiting for their their second vax is up there so it's nice to hear that um you know you won't be stuck inside too much yeah, longer yeah. actually speaking of which i saw your brother the other day when i was get, grabbing coffee so yeah um <laughs> <laughs> i realized i hadn't told you that so yeah shout out jordan Locke. yes i haven't spoken with him in a while but uh, i'm sure i'm sure he's staying safe yeah he doesn't he's... mess around like i do with the travels no doubt um quick shout out uh if you're in the chat let us know where you're tuned into i want to give a quick shout out to fuse music right now um and kirk yo 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 it's been a big what fan of padlock since uh, yeah. no shame days oh wow <laughs> <laughs> i that's like beyond my memory recall that's, uh lots of love for sticking around no doubt so um yeah speaking of summer though man what, what are you looking forward to the most this summer Man, there's a bunch. So uh, we just dropped this new record, which you know we can get into later. But there's going to be remixes for that, uh, for So Fine, and then um, shows are coming back. Uh, you know, as things get safer. So I haven't like announced any properly yet, but there's a few. Um, there might be some secret shows around here, around the LA area, um, and. Uh, I don't know, just to drop a couple cities, like, I guess, like you know, Vegas, Denver, and SF, um, New York. This is, that's, like, further down the line. But, like, things are starting to ramp up. So, yeah, I'm really, really pumped about that. Do you um, have any uh, possibility of coming back to Vancouver for a quick visit and maybe see your family? Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're trying to, trying to figure that out. Just, like, things are, because things are ramping up here so quickly, um, and with the the two week quarantine whenever you cross the border uh i think i might have to stick it out here for a little bit and it, I, we've been talking to you know our friends up there and seeing like who's doing what in the pacific northwest and things like that and i think it's a little bit 
um, behind the U.S., but definitely trying to work on some stuff up there, um, hopefully this year as well. Awesome. Um, so just speaking of Vancouver, I, I don't want to dwell on this too long, but it, it is a pretty important thing to talk about because you, you were, you're, grew up in Vancouver. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm curious to know, like, you know, how did, did Vancouver have any, like, influence on or shape uh, your musical tastes or, you know, uh, choices? How, how did it influence you? So I think, you know, Vancouver is, for anyone that um, hasn't had the fortune to go there, it's one of the most diverse places um, that you could hope to grow up in. And because of that, uh, my friends and tastes were just from all, all different places, all different corners of the world. And I think that probably lent itself, um, even maybe subconsciously, to a curiosity about you know different styles and cultures and sounds and tastes and, and all of that. And so, while uh, I wasn't super plugged into like let's say the the local uh, Vancouver music scene when I was growing up, let's you know in high school or, or whatever, uh, I think that people were always like you know happy to share what they were listening to. And uh, so I sort of, yeah, like, you know, friends would, you know, lend you whatever, like CDs or, or things like that. And I think that um, because I started off DJing way before I started producing, uh, I think I always had a curiosity about things I was unfamiliar with. So that probably would be like the big one, I feel. So uh, Brian, Brian Adams wasn't uh, a huge influence. <laughs> <laughs> right. Brian Adams and who, who else? The band Chilliwack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I think, uh, you know, that's funny that you should say that because one of his like his like guitar guy or bass or something like his like, daughter, I went was like in my grade in high school. So like Vancouver, oh, cool. Canada is like that small, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it's actually it's, it's funny because um, there's some pretty crazy records and you probably know about this too from the warehouse. Like um, I think Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet was recorded in Vancouver and um, Metallica and stuff like that. There's a lot of rock right. history here, right? Absolutely. I, I think I didn't discover that until way, way later. And it it totally has a history. Um, and I think that, you know, over the years and over the past decade and 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 more, it's definitely um, had its share of creatives and musicians that have made their mark on the industry in their respective um, genres, which is really cool. Do you think, like, I mean, you, you live in L.A. now. Did, was there a, a big decision to move to L.A.? to further your career? Because what did you feel like Vancouver was a little limited in, in, in certain ways? So I think the decision was, it wasn't necessarily like binary. Like I, I sort of figured uh, to, to take it, to zoom out a little bit. I, I was starting to um, get more plays and profile on like the remixes and, and the records I was doing, um, even though it was like a pretty slow like rate of output back then. And then I started to play some shows in the US and like elsewhere, um, leaving Vancouver. And then it sort of became uh, like, a, I think maybe it was always in the back of my mind that that would like LA was a place to come to, it seemed like it was becoming the, the music center of North America, uh, as people emigrated from New York. Um, I mean, like modern music, you know, not just like players or whatever, but it, it just seemed like people were trying to, to congregate here. And so I think that after doing some more shows down here and doing some writing sessions, I think I was quite inspired by the talent level and the hustle um, that I was encountering. And um, that combined with it's just, you know, really expensive to fly 
um, anywhere from Vancouver, even within the province, and be like 800 bucks to fly to Prince George or, or whatever, you know. Uh, and in the States, it's pretty easy to get around. So all those things lined up to where I was spending more time down here. And then eventually I was like, okay, well, let's try it for like six months, a year. And, um, you know, here we are like four years later. Yeah, that's that's true. Hey, I like traveling within Canada is ridiculously expensive if you don't know about that. But um, real quick, Pete Monsanto Sound has a really great suggestion in here. When are we hearing an all-Canada Patlock and Catronada jam? Um, is that, can you <laughs> ever expect that? <laughs> that would be cool. Um, yeah, I mean, he's an amazing, obviously, uh, you know, one of the new legends um, defining sounds. Uh, would love to make a track. I, I mean, someone has to introduce us. Uh, he's, you know, really put Mon helped put Montreal on the map in over the last, you know, 15 years, 10, 15 years, and uh, define a sound for, you know, a whole generation of producers. So um, that's very flattering. Someone, <laughs> someone had him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Let's get him in the chat. Uh, if anyone can hit, hit the Katra phone, uh, let get, let's get him in the chat. Um, peace to uh, Live and Proof, who just jumped in the uh, chat from Spread Love. Uh, shout out to Spread Love, who are helping put on this whole month's uh, content with us. And we just did the Spread Love Festival on Friday. Um, so yeah, um, so I guess getting right into yeah. DJing, uh, since Serato is a DJ company, I know you're a good DJ. I've known you for a long time, Pat. I know I've heard you DJ. Um, but Thanks, what was man. the first performance or record that made you want to get into DJing? To get into DJing. Okay, so this is going to be like a, a long and multi answer. So it's good that, you know, I think we've got more time. Yeah, uh, time. <laughs> so there used to be this show uh, on, called Electric Circus, and it was on Much Music. So, you know, for the Canadians would know, but anyone else, it's sort of like the Canadian MTV. And uh, Electric Circus was like this Friday night dance party uh, on Bloor Street, I guess, like a shot in the studio out of Toronto. And it was like 10 p.m. to like 11 or 11 to 12, whatever it was on Fridays. And uh, it was sort of, you know, like a whatever soul train. I, that's the most obvious type of comparison. They would have all these like killer dancers and whatever and, and DJs coming through and then they would show the music videos and like all the kids would like line up in the freezing cold. And I would tune in and watch this because it was just super cool. I was living in like a small town at, at the time when I, it was the first time we had cable and I was like, whoa, this is really crazy. And they had people like Frankie Knuckles or like Sasha or like Oakenfold or whatever, like kind of like legends come through and DJ. And then, uh, so they would play some of these music videos and show like the international dance charts. And I didn't know what any of this stuff was was called, but there was this one record that they seemed to play, uh, you know, enough that I remembered it. And it was uh, Todd Terry's Keep On Jumping with uh, Jocelyn Brown and Martha Wash. And the video itself, super simple, like 90s, like cuts all over New York and like people skipping rope and all that. And I was, I was a little kid at the time, but I think just because I grew up with a bit of piano and there's a lot of piano licks, like a classic house track um, that stuck with me then and never left my brain. And I didn't know anything about genres or electronic music or house music until much, much later. But that was definitely the one of the first uh, moments of like, you know, like when a record just sticks with you and the video and you know new york was a place i'd only ever heard about it was like the kind of place at the time when your family was like don't go there you'll get shot like you know <laughs> back in the day so um that was yeah that was one of the first moments and i think in in high school 
there was some sort of barbecue and like one guy, some like drama geek, if you if you will, had turntables and started DJing like like the grad barbecue. And uh, he was playing like some some pretty good stuff. But I remember being like across the way, across the courtyard, and he played this crazy, like it was like this bass line, like pumping out of the speakers, just like outdoors, right? It was a school thing. And I was like, what the heck is that? And like I went over and it was uh, Basement Jack's Red Alert just with that crazy, crazy, like, hook of a bass line, right, an intro. And, uh, you know, it took me a, a while to get there um, after that. But, I mean, looking back, those, you know, <laughs> those two records, you could do a lot worse than, like, have, you know, my first uh, experience with the music that I would end up, you know, doing almost every day. Totally. Especially, yeah, house pianos are infectious. And, uh, I mean... Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a, bit, a, little, a little bit more about that right now, actually, because you, you grew up playing uh, piano, right? Keyboard and piano? Yeah, so I, you know, stereotypical uh, Chinese household. I was, like, sat in front of the piano when I was three and uh, kind of lived there for the, you know, for a long time and just doing things like um, like Chopin and Beethoven and practicing scales and arpeggios and things like that. And then I got super sick of it because it, it was, like, pretty hardcore and, like, I was traveling around to, like, compete and perform and stuff. And then I think, you know, getting towards high school, I was like, this isn't cool. Like, I hate it. And it's like, quit. And didn't do anything. I just ran away from music kind of entirely throughout throughout all of high school and was just, you know, being a kid again. So, so I had, like, that knowledge, that fundamental, like, you know, this is a major chord, minor chord. Or, like, I, I guess I had um, developed the ear, which is probably um, – my most, you know, I think it's one of my my best tools that I have. I can't like, I don't think I play great or, or whatever, but like I, my ears still mostly um, pretty dependable. And so later on, when I found like out about electronic music and dance music, um, I started to piece together like, you know, like oh, these are the kinds of chords. Um, I think I, I entered in a more. This is not cool at all, but I I, I had friends that were really into trance music. And uh, that was actually like when I first started like delving in and like they would go to raves. And so I would like tag along and it was all like really like fast and like hard stuff. But uh, like Tiesto was like a really he was just kind of coming up. It was like, you know, way before it was before like the Olympics or anything. So he but he was like becoming, you know, a pretty big name internationally. And so we were always like rocking like the Tiesto mixes. And I was like, oh, I totally know. I understand what's happening like musically in, in these in these songs. And um yeah, and that definitely helped from an from an early age. No doubt, man. It's funny you say that. Like, um, I'm not a huge Tiesto fan or anything, but I know that he had like a huge uh, fan base in Vancouver. Like, he would sell out like one of the big stadiums here, right? Like, it was like a he's right. a big artist. Yeah, I so I never got to see him, or you know, I guess I've never seen him. But uh, yeah, he that's that's right. I I wonder if Vancouver is one of his. I feel like the trance scene in Vancouver has been big, you know, one of the places that you would go and play for a long time, like, you know, going back to the 90s, because the rave culture was pretty strong, maybe oh, yeah. before your time, maybe before you came to Canada. Yeah, I just remember, like, yeah, I, I was like, oh, man, he's selling at, like, a stadium. Like, I think it was the first DJ I knew that sold out a stadium, and I was like, I can't, I don't know, but this is cool <laughs> like, for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um yeah shout out to yesto man I, I don't want to be a hater um but speaking of chords and chord progressions over the years i've known you we've talked a lot about this on our own time but 
Um, mm-hmm. Like one of the one of the ones that I think about you a lot actually is you you showed me uh, Fonda Ray's over like a fat rat chord progression, mm. and that's like one of the most legendary turnarounds I know of. But what mm-hmm. are what are some of your favorite chord progressions like off top? Man, that's a it's a tough one. I feel like over the years it kind of it's changed a lot. That's a that's a really great one because like it's it's epic and yet it's like a the context of its time, like it, I actually tried when I figured it out, I was like, oh, maybe we can sort of like borrow from this for some other for some other songwriting purposes. And it's pretty, I found it pretty tough because they're like really, it's a really happy song. Uh, I think the part that we both like was the intro, which is sort of like the, the turnaround and the verse. And then the chorus of Fonda Ray over like a fat rat is like really, really happy and almost too happy. So, it's yeah. It's interesting to think about the types of chords, like ha- chords having a um, um, co- almost like a time and place. Like if you were to hear um, maybe Thundercat, you might be, you might think of like you know some Steely Dan references or or something like that. Like maybe it's totally off, but uh, you know I love what Thundercat and, and Louis Cole have been doing over the past few years. Uh, favorite all time is really difficult, um, probably because it relates to our conversation two big ones would be crystal waters gypsy woman and um daft punk's voyager like voyager's pretty pretty straightforward voyager's just a great great record that no one really talks about when it comes to daft punk um and then one would be also another another one would be sherelle saturday love sherelle and alexander o'neill oh yeah that's that's a smash let's just listen to um <laughs> over like a fat rat real quick because mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how good this version is, but we got to get to these chords. It's like so many different edits because it's like nine minutes long. It is, a, yeah. I'm just, I'm just gonna skip ahead. Actually, here, on, here we go. Here's the chords. Oh, cute. There it is. Ooh. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's pause that one. Ooh. And then let's. Oh, sorry. You were gonna say? No, I'm just saying, ooh, it sounds, I, you've got like the warp on it and it comes through on like the stream a little like warbly, like with some RC20 on it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that sounds like a sample right there. Uh-oh, watch out, we might have the new Pat Locke single starting here. Uh, and this is, <laughs> this is, this is not the edit. Remix. <laughs> what, not remix, the what remix is that? It sounds like a, I can't read read what it says on the screen that's like a different version yeah let's see if we can find the original crystal waters with the m1 organ which is like one of the tools of that sound well there's so many maybe it's this one man it's all the edits you got all these different versions no okay i'm gonna give up on gypsy woman (laughs) Um, I'm sure you'd know it or anyways, I don't need to really play it. Um, it's such a big tune. Um, but yeah, um, gypsy woman for sure. Amazing. I remember you play, I remember when we lived together, you played those chords as well. I was like, man, I got to learn those. That's, I feel like it's a rite of passage for keyboard players, right? If you can play those, totally uh, those chord progressions, you're good. Um, cool. Um, and then, yeah, when we first met, uh, you were 
you were opening uh, for Breakbot, I think, with U-Turn mm. at Shine Nightclub. Rest in peace, uh, classic Vancouver nightclub and uh, mm. foundational for a lot of us here. Uh, when mm-hmm. did you decide, though, like uh, you wanted to make a career in music your main priority, your like goal? Hmm. So I think at that time, so U-Turn, for those that don't know, uh, is half or now he's solely him is Oliver. Um, he the, the splice sample king and amazing the most uh, diamond years uh, but yeah at, at that time I was just really really pumped to be playing at a night because Vancouver like in years prior I'd always like electronic music and it was sort of relegated to underground clubs or maybe like raves but it's hard to get booked on raves really you know as a small scene so I didn't know if it was going to make the jump, like dance music, over. Like I think David Guetta was at the forefront of that in terms of the crossover into North America. And then you started to have anthems like Put Your Hands Up for Detroit and things like that. You know, when you could walk down Granville Street and hear that record playing out of like, you know, your mainstream clubs. And that was around the time I started realizing like, oh, this is like, okay, I guess house music, whatever dance music is going to become a thing over here and not have someone requesting, like, can you play fat Joe? N- nothing against fat Joe. So at shine, we had this night, uh, that started up around sort of the blog house era, which I feel like all, all interviews end up like going back to remembering, you know, when Mastercraft and like kind of heads will roll and justice cross and, um, it was like the Valerie Collective and Sebastian and, and all that amazing stuff. And people were just, you know, putting up these zip folders of MP3s every week or every day on their blogs. And you would go find some crazy stuff. And uh, this night at Shine, this weekly, I think it was a weekly Saturday, was uh, the first, like, kind of, you know, Saturday is a bit of an important night for a club. So we, I think, you know, we tried to try this and grown it from like Sundays and like Thursdays in the back room. And then finally got a Saturday and it was a really big uh, moment to be able to play like these kinds of records, like the LaRue, like in for the kill, like life, like, you know, all the anthems and aeroplane uh, remix of uh, what was it like, like Paris. Right. Oh, but, 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 but anyways, big tunes and so that was that was like really the thing it was like wow like we get to like everyone is here uh either for like this music or they're like going to be convinced if you just give us a couple songs because it was like it was fresh and new and so i started doing like bootlegs just to play out like dj tools really to play out in those sets and try to sneak them in and it was like definitely a learning curve because i was a really really terrible well, i was a beginning producer i didn't know what i was doing so i started with mashups blends and and uh i think yeah i started you know doing more remixes and did a couple of releases and you know it was uh i just wanted to make something that was like decent good that could fit in my set and like not clear the floor and then uh, i guess like, you know you get a couple wins and you, your confidence grows a little bit and um i reached a point where i was starting to tour more based on the strength of like the records I was releasing rather than like, you know, playing locally, like as a DJ that was known for being a DJ. And that was when it started to enter the back of my mind. Um, when I started DJing, I was like, oh, one day it would be cool to play, you know, 
in the US or in Japan, but I, I didn't know how that was going to be a thing. And I knew that you needed to write and produce music. So uh, that became, you know, a, pot a potential road to follow. And uh, I guess at one point I faced like, uh, I was at a crossroads where I was, you know, doing my day job and the gigs were starting to, well, take take my time away from that a little bit. And I, I kind of like was, okay, well, I might as well take a shot at this point. And I was lucky um, that I had a boss that was like very supportive and was like, you know, you can, if you want to try this out, because it seems like things are going pretty well, you can go try, go and do it for like a year or something like take a year off. And, and if it doesn't, you know, work out, you can come back. But I hope we don't, I don't I hope we don't see you back here. Hope you like can go and do it. And looking back, you know, even at the time, it was really something because I appreciated the support, but I didn't really have that, you know, self-confidence because I was still a really, a really, really new producer. So, so yeah, I, I took that that year. Actually, I, I was like, can it be six months? And he was like, that's pretty short uh, to train someone, you know, and like replace you and then come back. And I was like, all right, a year. And then I, you know, guess I never looked back. Yeah, still going. Still going. <laughs> <laughs> one of yeah. these, um, one of these moments that I remember a really really clearly with you was about um you winning the dfa records remix competition with a cyclist right. but how like speaking of confidence like how did that did that give you a massive boost or how, how did that affect you yeah so i was a big fan of the rapture uh on i'm a big fan of the rapture on, on dfa um actually that was they played in la like right before the pandemic and a couple people i know were like oh that was the last show, show that i saw and i'm like oh dang i did not know about that conveniently um, named the rapture <laughs> conveniently named the rapture exactly uh but they did this this remix competition and i entered with my friend mark uh also known as cyclist who's since moved to toronto shout out, shout out to mark great producer great guitar player uh really expansive disco knowledge and so we our taste just sort of like meshed and we just decided to jam on this remix together and um you know he did a lot he definitely was a more deft hand at production and i was um you know chipping in with like whatever baseline ideas and playing keys and things like that and um and they liked it um i guess uh they liked it enough to you know bring make choose it for the final round and then um i like watch watch them stream uh their choices live like from my work desk like in my cubicle and they happen to pick pick, pick us as the winner and that was really crazy uh because i'd never done anything of note uh musically and yeah it, it was it was it was super crazy i was so excited just to be i was elated just to you know recognized as they had you know whatever i think it was a hundred plus remix uh submissions at the time which was was quite a lot so just to be in the final 10 was a big deal uh and after that i was like okay maybe it doesn't suck that was because i actually wasn't sure about the remix i was like it's okay i was like i don't know and after they liked it and i was like maybe i can just dial back like the hate just like a little bit uh <laughs> <laughs> now that it's one we have uh, the footage was, by the way Oh my God! We have the footage of them, of the judgment. Shall we, we dug into the archives? Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna show this right now. So um, hopefully everyone can hear. So our next contender is Cyclist and Pat Lock L O K. That's the name of the remixers. Vito, how many listeners do we have? How many, how many listeners? listeners do we have? How many watchers do we have? This is like early days of streaming, hey? 
18,000. That's amazing. 18,000. Wow. 18,000 people on this so we stream? Haven't really yeah. Yeah. We haven't just lost that many. Don't tell me again. Okay. Wait, um, and Cyclist and Padlock are from Vancouver. How do you spell Cool. That? Correct. How do you spell Vancouver? No. What's up, Canadians? How do you spell Vancouver? What are they called? You just spell my name right. Cyclist and Petlock? Petlock. Who locks their pet? Could be a Gwen Guthrie reference. I think. Right, that was when I learned about that song. Vancouver. Vancouver, what's up? Where Gwen Guthrie is a. I was like tripping out like. I bet. In my in my office slacks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's up? Just going right out there. Ready for this one. Wow. Yeah. Like, it's taking a risk and it's winning. Doesn't get any better than that. Performance shifting the vocal. We, we did actually do this in the studio after Luke, Luke had returned to New York. And we almost did a mix. Yeah? It's awesome. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Wait, you got James. Love this one. What's going on? This is this is Murph mix. You meant, like, I guess But, like, not around, like, an office table. Oh. Oh, yeah, a little tree to piano. Little Strings of Life. Strings of Life uh, reference. It's just sweet, man. When is this coming out on DFA, John? Yeah. <laughs> I love this remix, yeah. Feeling it. Loving you guys, Canada. As he just casually picks his nose. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that must have been an amazing feeling, man. I mean, what a, an incredible remix, just uh, first off. But, man, what a boost of confidence, hey? Thanks. Uh, I mean, you know, like, Shout out Mark and you know we did that one together. It was, it was uh, yeah pretty unbelievable. I haven't you you do remember like certain moments um, that like open your eyes to maybe what's possible or like what your potential might be. Like you know some artists like have a lot of self belief and and some don't you know or many many don't and so sometimes to have. Um, a band, you know, artists that you really, really look up to and, you know, you just rock with any day of the week, you, you know, they could have said it sucked and I'd be like, yeah, of course it sucked. You know, I didn't like whatever, what do you guys, whatever you guys say, you guys make timeless classic records. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's really nice to sometimes know that, uh, um, maybe you, you found gold or at least that early on, like you found something that was like, that meant that, uh, was meaningful, uh, to someone else. Yeah, I mean, yeah, th those guys have pretty great taste, and it was, they were very confident in it. And I mean, I think, not to go on too much of a tangent, but, you know, uh, as a creative person, you're kind of on this, like, mental health spectrum, if you will. I, I mean, that, maybe that's not the best way of putting it. Or, yeah, sure. But, you know, to be creative is kind of like a special skill in a way. You know, you have to have this kind of intense emotional attachment to things to be able to pour yourself into it. But it does have it does come at a cost, and uh, when you get those 
I mean, I hear I hear people talk about it a lot, you know, even especially over the pandemic when people haven't been able to perform, you know, they have like a real, uh, there's a lot of anxiety that they haven't had to face, you know, because they're getting kind of this reassurance from an audience or, you know, regularly putting out music. And when that all of a sudden stops, uh, I think, you know, we've seen, there's been a lot of casualties and I think there are a lot of mm-hmm. casualties, but mm-hmm. the, there's obviously, a, you know, there's two sides to it and that's like the... The, the really good side, you know, that, that all of a sudden fills this well up of, of confidence and self-esteem and gives you the power to be able to move forward, right? A- absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, as you mentioned, like it's been a challenging time for a lot of artists and people in the world. And uh, that you can make art in a vacuum. But I mean, you know, as the saying goes, like we live in a society, like it still has to exist. You have to let it go at some point into the world. And whether, you know, whether you get good feedback or or constructive feedback, um, that stuff is sort of part of part of that art's life in a way. Totally. Um, and speaking of remix, like remix culture is like, I, I love it. I think it's really fascinating. And I know that you really embrace remixing. Um, but what is like, what is the one remix, if you could, if you could name a remix that comes to mind that you wish that you'd made, like uh, by anybody? Right, right, right. Oh man, there's so many good ones. I mean, the easy like DJ answer is the cold cut, like the Eric Bean Rakim. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It's, when, now that now that I'm there, it's hard to get off of that, right? Because it's like uh, really reimagining into a different space with a different energy, you know, something that might even uh, surpass, you know, you, you don't hear the original too much. I mean, one that I don't, I don't think about too often, but is, is important. Sometimes, you know, in our knowledge of a, of a record, like the remix can knock out the original where like for example justin uh, justin justice with their we are your friends remix of the remix of simian mobile disco who are obviously you know accomplished artists in their own right but that was what put them on the map uh and it sound it's so much you know more impactful than than the original i mean it's great that if if they didn't do that then who knows um, if they ever would have, you know, had their career on Edbanger, I feel, feel like that was probably the beginning for them. Absolutely. Um, and I also think that's a really interesting segue because they also, I believe that was also a competition that they won. Or is that correct? Do you know about Maybe. that? Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds right. There was some interview where they talked about it and, or someone else was talking about it and they were like, oh, it sounded like, you know, the production is so bad, but they're like, it was such a great record, you know, and it's like, sometimes like these great um it's funny with music where like great ideas and execution even if you don't have even if you're raw and you know unpolished at that stage can still shine through and that's the really exciting part i think you know as a dj you know you were working for serato you probably hear a lot of promos and demos and stuff from newer artists and sometimes it's like oh like maybe you have a ways to go when it comes to mixing or low end or whatever but you can hear great ideas when someone has like vision that that cuts through with the rest you're like oh no i'm gonna be paying attention to you because that other stuff you can learn that stuff absolutely i I've almost feel like we should listen to that please cue it up hey. 
What an intro! What an intro! Mike is, uh, is on. Would you look at that waveform? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this bit is great, too. This breakdown thing. Yep. Yeah, break. This is when, like, DJs now would mix out. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's perfect. I can't believe that waveform though, man. Look at that thing. There's like so little low end, it's just all like frequency. Just Amazing. So yeah, I mean, even to to your point though, like uh, I was thinking another song, um, and again, this isn't a, a a disrespectful take, but you know, someone like Catronada who has had such a, a great career, and we mentioned him earlier, but you know, like the mix on the Janet remix that I guess yeah. broke him. I, mean, I think mm-hmm. even he'd admit as a as <laughs> you know, it's it's an acquired taste. It's like, but it, it works and it's it, it's it's, raw, it captures yeah. the energy. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but. You know, by like conventional standards, it might be a little uh, too bass heavy, you know, or something. And, sure. and I think um, that, like you said, that even seeing his progression over the years, right, from those SoundCloud mixes to now what he's doing, it's obviously a, another story. But at the end of the day, that was the the, the beginning of that sound that um, that mm-hmm. he's refined and perfected ever since, which is kind of beautiful. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think as an artist, so if, if it's intentional, that's also, you know, something that you can have going for you, like Jai Paul's mixes or, yeah, the early the early Ketra stuff. And it would be difficult to maybe mix with other records because it would just sound so different. But, uh, I mean, I think sometimes, especially with the bootleg stuff or the organic stuff, the people know, like, let, let, the, let the numbers speak with themselves if it's you know something like you know soundcloud because it's just like if people weren't messing with it they would not be sharing it and like it wouldn't have you know gone you know to all the places that it, that it did yeah and let's not forget that even the distorted guitar and the 808 were examples of things of failed conventional sounds that didn't make sense or the 303 and these are things that have defined genres so this mm-hmm. it's all subjective i guess um you've touched on something just then though that i really want i wanted to ask you a bit more about um around remix culture but you know you were really active on soundcloud at its peak and you posted remixes there all the time um did you find this method of you know posting on like the platform like soundcloud help like Mm -hmm. how instrumental was that in kind of like raising your profile or developing your career yeah i think it was it was a big part in my journey uh at the the time because i didn't have really any fundamentals in writing original music or records or finishing my, I mean, maybe, maybe starting them, but it was really difficult to finish original music and, and it still can be, 
um, doesn't take as long now, but um, at least with remixes, it, it was pretty straightforward for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you know, you could take something that you really loved or find an acapella, or you could maybe take like a big pop song uh, and just, you know, put it on its head and put your spin on it. And you had the framework. I think part of that was the arrangement of songs that a lot of uh, producers struggle with when they get into the game. They understand like sound design because you, know, you can learn these things. But arrangement is something that, um, honestly, I feel like anyone in, in our game is really, really important to learn. And one that's not sexy to learn, like when you're starting out, no one's like, show me your best arrangement tips, like in a class. They're like, no, what's your best babe? How do you give me that Daft Punk bass? How do you make the wubs, the Skrillex, you know, whatever, right? Uh, how do you make your stereo like more than 360? That's like what they want to know now. But arrangement, arrangement, arrangement is like everything. And that's why remixes are, a great way to learn, you know, how songs, you know, first chorus, first chorus, is there a bridge or is it like three or four times in the chorus? And what are you going to do with that as a remixer? Uh, innately, even if you don't realize it at the time, you're like, yeah, how am I going to process this? Or am I just going to use the one hook? Is the verse like not my favorite? Uh, and so from that perspective, it was a great education. And then at the same time, obviously, SoundCloud was like a big, like, um, almost like an incubator for the next wave of artists. And you could see your Kitronadas and your Moon Boots and your, you know, these different artists that were putting out original or bootleg music and it was starting to bubble up, you know, in conjunction with Hype Machine. And if you got into front page or top 50, much less like top 20, top 10, or have a number one, that could really, you know, kick your career off and get you like a whole tour off the back of that. And so I was like probably like a step behind that and uh but i was slogging it out and trying to like be like you know what can i remix that might be able to get on these charts and like um also advance my you know discography uh bootlegged bootleg discography um as an artist and you know hopefully get some official label remixes or maybe you know attract the attention of some other labels totally and um i know that like soundcloud it, it, you know it was like an arms race at one point, like who could get the acapella, who could put the best remix out and, and, and so forth. But it, it seems like there's a little less of that on SoundCloud these days. It's still a pop in and there's still like lots of great stuff um, to, to find on there. But um, you're also working um, with this platform Audius, um, which, I, which I actually, I've heard of, but I actually kind of like started paying more attention to because of, of you actually. Um, so uh, I'm just going to pull up that sure. so people know what we're talking about uh, on the screen here. So this is a, a new platform called Audius. This is Pat's profile. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about like what sure. Audius is? I, I feel like you, you, you have a really good educated understanding of it. Well, um, I guess the, the short the short form of it is it's sort of like, sound, like, a, like a new SoundCloud. Um, it's built on the blockchain, but to a lot of people like they don't know like i don't even know that i could ex you know it has to do with crypto it's a crypto soundcloud it would be like the, the super fast version but that doesn't mean anything necessarily for artists other than uh well when you upload your music um they want to support artists so like 90 percent of like the revenue streams which i think are gonna go live soon i, th I think it's 90 back to the, back to the original artist which is pretty cool um and What's interesting with them, um, so one of the 
found one of the core team um, is a co-founder of Ausla, like Skrillex's label. Oh yeah. Um, and, and yeah, they've been doing really great things. Like I think I started paying attention when people that I knew or followed their music were releasing things on there, like um, like RAC and and Boys Noise and and a lot of like notable artists in the hip hop, like and, and rappers. Uh, and so it's interesting to see what is still early stages. Um, they're doing really cool things with the technology, like even on the collect in the collectibles tab, they integrated that a, a few weeks ago, where you can like kind of see. Um, most people won't, won't think to look, look at that, and you can sort of see like what NFTs, if you're into that, like I've, I I hold or have created. So it's 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 fun um, from a pushing the technology side standpoint. But wow. what's also cool is uh, they just started this grants program to support up and coming artists or curators. Uh, currently right now, they, uh, tr they trade the token, which is called audio, which is sort of like, you know, ETH or Bitcoin. It's like, a, has a dollar value attached with it fluctuates. And they have, they give up prizes each week to the top streaming, I think like the top five songs and like the top five playlists. Uh, don't quote me on that. It's like top three, top five. And so with this grants committee, they want to support, you know, growth by allowing artists or, you know, people like yourself to be like, you know, I have a project, you know, I have a label and I want to have a compilation. I'm gonna, I want to release a compilation and we'll do it on Audius. And uh, we're going to give the top, like, you know, the 10 people that make the final compilation, um, audience tokens, which have a real value and maybe, you know, they can use for whatever they want, what they can hold it, they can trade it, sell it. And uh, so right now um, they just announced that yesterday or two days ago. And uh, there's like a formal process, just like a web link and you just click on and be like, oh, this is what I do. You know, I run a label or I'm a DJ, I do mixes and this is what I want to do with it. Um, so I ha happen to be a part of the, uh, the approval grants committee on the first one. It's like, pretty straightforward like we just read the applications and go like oh this is sounds really great like sure like you go so yeah i would invite um anyone watching uh to check it out like there's you know no risk involved you don't have to do you shouldn't that's the one thing that i would want to say like i don't know if people that are starting out like you shouldn't have to pay for like anything in music like anything speculative right yeah. uh you shouldn't have to pay an a and r like you'll have to pay your like mastering engineer if yep. that's one that you want to you know on your team or your artists if you don't have you know another agreement but like anyone in the industry should not be taking money out of your pocket like a manager uh like speculatively um uh, maybe they take a percentage of like a real thing but um it's cool that you can have to be a part of a, an initiative like this which is like combining technology and uh you know building back with the with the community yeah, that's so cool. I mean, it, I think the one thing uh, we talked about last week with jo Josephine uh, Cruz, uh, JMKM, was a mm -hmm. bit about just managing which platforms, you know, uh, to kind of prioritize or put, put your energies into. Because I think what you've just touched on is really, really important, especially for people that are, you know, getting familiar with the, you know, the music industry or whatever. And I think, I mean, I, I, I'll pay like DistroKid or, you know, whatever, uh, some money so they can post my stuff. But Ultimately, that's yep. so I can make money directly from it or whatever. But a lot of people are kind of out. I mean, that's the, the industry rule number 4080, as Q-Tip says, right? Uh, industry people are shady. So, <laughs> um, I, you know, that's that's a really good game uh, for people to know. Is like, yeah, don't be paying 
speculatively for uh, costs out of, out of pocket when, you know, you're basically providing content, right? You're creating a, a assets to, to be able to monetize them. Um, and I, I wonder if that is like a, a bit of an, from the blog era that, you know, we're talking about, you know, when we posted a lot of stuff for free, a lot of the free kind of download um, world. And I even think that was one of the downfalls of uh, one of the, the negative sides that came to SoundCloud was this repost con um, kind of culture yeah. where you had to go through all these click repost things to get a download. Um, yeah. Like, how did you feel? How did you feel about that era? <laughs> yeah, is uh, I mean, it was just the way of of the world at the time. If you wanted, and in in retrospect, it's really not a lot to ask for, and music has been devalued, as we all know, since the invention of of the iPod or, or Napster or whatever, right? Since MP3s came into existence because something that, you know, people were happy to collect uh, became something that could be easily transmitted. And I'm not here to debate the value of, you know, a song or a stream. That's another whole nother conversation. Yeah. But I think it definitely contributed to that. And uh, it's it's tough as, a, as an artist because if you're not relying on that old model, then you know people will tell you that all your revenue will come from touring and merch. And I mean, I'll tell you from experience, like it's it's a grind. You yeah, like at you know the top tiers, definitely like the lion's share of their income. But I would say that uh, it's definitely a grind because you know, you have touring expenses, and then you know the people that you are going to pay your agent. You know that's ten percent. Your manager that's fifteen to twenty percent. Like these are basically fixed costs. And so, um, yeah, like without making this a whole like accounting thing, uh, the devaluation of music is has been an issue for creatives and artists. You know, for the past couple of decades, which is why it's interesting to see, you know, different forms of remuneration come about, and um, you know to see people like launch their own token like RAC did or you know do like NFTs or, or whatever and is to find a way to to value their work again is pretty exciting it is and i think that's one of the things that i'm immediately impressed by with audius is that they have such a forward thinking and future proof kind of uh, approach already that does in a lot of ways put the artist first or at least consider them you know like a a, a respectful partner in any kind of agreement which uh, as you know as we all know too well, sometimes isn't the case. But right. um, moving on from that and getting some stream numbers up, um, you've just released a banger of a tune. Uh, so fine. I'm going to run that right now. We can... Thanks. Yeah, I love this song so much, dude. And um, if I may say so, it's definitely like one of my favorite songs. I'm looking forward to playing uh, this summer. I'm already playing a bunch on my Twitch streams. Um, so oh, highly, thank you. Yeah, highly recommend getting on it. Shout out Party Peoples. Yeah, this is Pat Locke and Party Peoples was so fine. So I have, I have a funny story about this one. It's the first time I've ever recorded vocals for sang on a record. Uh, not a singer, but... Uh, we were working on this beat idea that, that you know Ryan was like, oh, like we, do you know this song? I'm like, yeah, of course, so the Hojo. Like, um, so we were working on this flip and whatever and writing it all, and uh, and I was just like, it's a sample, so it's never gonna, it's gonna be really tough to clear. So, you know, or, and if and even if we do it, we're gonna be out like 
thousands of dollars in lawyer fees and sample clearance. So I was like, I don't know. I've heard stories about like iPhone, like voice recorder. And so I just like one morning I was like, let me try this out. So I like went under, so I left my, my mic up in van when I was last there. I took, took my phone and went under like my duvet, like in my bed. And I was like, ooh, 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 ooh. And I layered it all up several times, tuned them up, threw them in Ableton. Uh, and then added some, you know, harms. Then Ryan was like, oh, it's like, sounds, it sounds really good. Like, let me add some of my own. I'm like, all right, cool. And then that was, so you're hearing, uh, yeah, party peoples and myself singing on this record. Wow, man. That's so cool. Um, cause yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the vocal, I guess the, the sample, but it was so cool to hear that you did that so well. It sounds so amazing. And you just did it on your iPhone? Yeah, man. Um, you just layered it up like a bunch of times. I think I showed part of the screenshot, like a, a clip um, on Instagram or something of the session where I was just working the vocal where, with all the different tracks that I lay down, including some of the, the fakes, which are like, you know, pitched like octaves and things like that. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I, I got it as clean as I could ha uh, get it to sound. And then Ryan had his parts and uh, he did a really good job with the mix. I can't take credit for that part uh and yeah like so i mean if you are uh you know minus studio and minus all this pro gear like and you got you have an iphone you know just find a way to dampen those reflections and um under under a blanket not <laughs> ideal but you know something something similar something without a lot of horizontal like hard surfaces will probably you know help a lot uh there's no excuse you know you just find a way and get it done i did it like as a joke and then you know it's it's cool to think that this is now the record um and that people are enjoying it so yeah any any way you can get the job done that's awesome hey um i, I got a couple of people in the chat just asking about questions and we're going to do um a little bit later towards the end we're definitely going to take some questions so st stick around um and yeah shout out ninja mendoza in the chat shout what out lys2 uh Civo. um yeah thank you for everyone who's tuned in right now uh we're if, if you're just tuning in right now my name is matt and this I'm, I'm chatting to Pat. It's Matt and Pat on uh, Serato's <laughs> Unscripted. Um, we're just bumping his latest song, So Fine, with Party Peoples. Uh, so speaking of Party Peoples, um, yeah, how did the collaboration kind of come together with, with you two? So I think we met 